there is so much information out there. At least get knowledgeable enough that, uh, as they say, so you can be dangerous, because that's what you need, which just means you can question everything that's in front of you. All right, guys, welcome to the Bluemix podcast. Uh, major announcement, we have a new sponsor, Tornet. Shout out to Dixchant, um, who came on our 14th episode of the podcast. He loved what we're doing so much that he wanted to show his support. Um, Tornet is a great team for anyone looking to outsource their technology to, by the way. Um, they work with a lot of startups. They work with a lot of full-form companies, organizations, uh, universities. They've done, I've seen them do a lot of great work. Um, so this is how they describe themselves. Tornet is a team of technology priests operating across two continents who preach the power of technology to make a meaningful difference in their customers' ecosystem. They're a powerhouse of technology enthusiasts who believe that business value chains can be improved with the help of technology solutions. So if you're looking for any kind of solution to get built out, any technology solution, definitely reach out to Tornet. Uh, they're a great team. Jeff, thank you for coming on the show. This is the Bluemex podcast where we talk to founders, professionals, and um, just about what's going on in the innovation co- economy and what's going on, especially in Toronto. Yeah, just make yourself comfortable there. Um, so you are a really interesting figure because uh, you're part of you're running the OPN network. Um, we'll talk a bit more about what that is. I'll let you talk more about what that is. But uh, that's where, where, where we met, where you ran uh, pitch competitions at City Hall. You got all these cool companies to come out and pitch. And w- one of the really cool things about the competition is it's the venue. You're at City Hall. It's such a serious feel to it. Um, and that, and uh, being on the, been, uh, having been on the other side of being a founder, having that kind of experience of being able to pitch like that, having someone seem like the, your idea is so serious that you go to City Hall and talk about that, it seems so empowering. So I really want to get you on board to talk more about what you're doing and uh, what Opian is. And uh, if you want to start, you want to jump in? For sure. Uh, well, I thank you for inviting me. Yeah. And I'm glad that you guys did come out to the event and enjoyed it. And tied us up here to come in because mm-hmm. uh, we're always excited to talk about what we're doing and how we're helping startups. Um, so I guess uh, to give you kind of a little bit of a background, uh, we started OPN uh, about four years ago. Yep. And it started because I kind of went through this time where I had done a lot on my own on a software side. I have a software company and have been running that for uh, maybe at that time it was eight years, give or take. This is your own company? This is my own company, you software started? company. So okay. we have offices in Pakistan, Philippines, and tr- in Toronto. And I kind of started to see the same reoccurring uh, okay. problem, which was startups trying to get into a space and not being successful, not making it all the way through and having a little bit of issues with, um, as you call them, sharks. Yeah. And so we, as I was going through this, uh, I would in, was investing in early stage companies and some of them had come back to me and said, you know, hey, we really could use some help with our pitches. And it, interestingly enough, it, it didn't really dawn on me right at the beginning when they asked me this question, like, why are they coming to me? But uh, I guess because I was investing, they saw there was a bit of both on, on both sides. So they said, uh, came back up again, hey, could we really help us with these uh, getting ourselves ready? And it never really clicked. And I just started kind of working and said, yeah, why don't we do this? Why don't we do that? And at the time, we were running this podcast show, mm-hmm. uh, interviewing founders and uh, CEOs of companies and trying to connect them so it was an easier sales process uh, because startups were finding it tough to get in front of big companies. So we'd say, here's your industry. I'll get you three CEOs or three people in the space, and we'll tie it together and talk on hot topics. So as uh, we went through, we started to um, discuss, well, how can we help these startups that we invest in to get FaceTime? And one of the places that we work and invest in uh, had the Thursday night once a month, Thursday night drinks. Mm. And you could do whatever you wanted um, as long as you brought people in to test the market to learn about their space so that maybe they'd want to be a member. And uh, there was one coming up in five days or something. Yeah. And we thought, well, why don't we run an event? We'll bring in some advisors. We'll give feedback. We'll bring the startups that we invest in, and they can pitch. And we'll work with them real quickly and get them ready. And that's what we did, create a meetup group, and 60 people showed up. Mm. And they said, we really like what you did here. You should do this again. And we had just done it once thinking, ah, that's cool. Yep. Good one-time thing. Yep. And 55 shows later and four years later, we've, uh, we've built out a whole uh, series of events that help early stage companies get in front of investors. Uh, while at the same time, uh, myself, I started to go into more of the syndication, which was working inside of all these different angel groups. Uh, so I'm part of six different angel groups where I'm on the screening committees, uh, which help 
facilitate where the startup has come in and get them into their investment community and took those learnings back, built them into what we do so that we can better prepare uh, early stage companies for investors so that they'll get faster investment. And then we've created a couple vehicles inside of that which were, we'll get first time companies pitching, we'll work with them to get them ready, there's no cost. Uh, and this is all done as a way, was part of my helping and give back to the community since I had been in doing this for so long already yep. and thought, you know what, I'm really better at helping than I am at uh, building my own things. Uh, I enjoy it, it's fun, but I like to keep everything small and, and tight and doing its thing. Uh, whereas everybody else wants to be a big company, why don't I help everybody be a big company uh, and grow that? And that's what we did. So we, uh, we created two vehicles, which are, um, are a pitch series which is broken down into now Skip the Line, which is our investor meeting, and one coming up on November 12th. And we have 10 companies that are groomed and well ready for pitching. Um, I'd say 90% of the companies that come in have never pitched before, never gone through the system. So we're getting a lot of companies come all over the world um, to pitch. And we see about 100 to 150 companies a month. Wow. And then we kind of work with all of them at some capacity and then get the 10 best uh, over two month period. and they will come pitch at Skip the Line, and they're in front of five advisors, which are all different angel groups mm. uh, for screening. So now we can syndicate the great companies into the angel groups, they'll take the ones they like, and then they'll get them in front of their community so they get investment. The top two companies then go to our City Hall event, which is the one you attended, and we were able to, at City Hall, um, really build the ecosystem around uh, showcasing these startups. So we have a showcase where there's 20 companies, and now we've changed the uh, whole setup. So on November 19th, we're going to have a whole new business model for uh, startups where um, we're going to have the ten, uh, sorry, two companies pitch, a keynote, a panel on a topic like hardware or security, whatever that might be. It's amazing. And then there's going to be breakout sessions. Yep. So instead of a three-hour show, it's going to be an hour-and-a-half show, and the rest of it will be networking so that you can network with uh, big clients, like big business. So they're going to be in the room now because we made it all about startups, so now they're gonna be able to find the right partner to help them grow their business, and then you can go see all the showcase of the companies. And then on the outskirts, we have all of our little or smaller yep. uh, events, which is for first time pitching. Even if it's not your first time, you get practice, and that's uh, uh, with York, Space, Seneca College, and Helix, and uh, Durham College. And so all of these are facilitated inside of their, their space. And uh, we're looking to hopefully maybe in the next year expand and do one in Montreal and maybe Vancouver. And again, this is all about the startup community, helping them find a place to get ready and get in front of investors and uh, raise funds. Yep, yep. Yeah. I mean, that, that was you mouthful, gave me, eh? Yeah, you gave me a lot to digest <laughs> there, right? Uh, I mean, from where you began and how you, how, like how you got to this point, how long did that take? Like, how, what does the journey look like? Uh, it's, well, Fascinating enough is that when I was working with these startups, I started to think to myself, why is this so easy for me? Why am I enjoying it and yeah. it's not a hassle and it's not hard to sit down and help a business understand the fundamentals more and, and really align their pitch? And I started to kind of think about this. And years earlier when I worked at Loblaws, mm -hmm. uh, this was back in uh, between uh, 2000 and... Uh, 2001 and 2007, I worked in Loblaws, and I ran, work, went from a developer side to running their e-commerce platforms. And when I worked there, I did work a lot of hours because I loved what I did, mm -hmm. but nobody knew what I did. So a lot of the front-end people that would take the calls and, and things like that, administrative staff, um, they didn't know what I did, but they knew I was in online. So they would send all of the startups that would call them to me. And I m made sure I met with every single company. Awesome. And then I would work with them to get them into Loblaws. So I literally built a whole network of all of the vice presidents, SVPs, and then I would book meetings with them and the startup and integrate them in. And I would work with them on their pitch deck, make sure that it was ready so that when they actually got in there, uh, they were able to succeed by selling through to that vice president. Even though that uh, senior exec had no idea why I was in the room, but I was helping facilitate technology and startups into big business. And then I kind of just kept doing that all the way through. So when I started this, it seemed so easy and it was only because I had been doing it for 20 years. So yep. how long have I been doing it? I've been grooming for 20 years, Absolutely. but really we've put 100% effort in the last three and a half years. So, I mean, let's talk a little bit about that before we jump into this. Um, 
but you were at Loblaws, uh, pretty much in corporate development at the time, and these startups started coming into your pipeline, and you're like, let's start meeting with them. Um, so generally, be, when people think about these large, corp working with large corporations, it seems like such a goliath. Like, why would they care about me? Why would, how can I even approach them? Not knowing there's people out there like you, looking for these startups to come in, almost like problem sol solutions to, to, so, uh, to problems that you already have or don't even know you have, that you can now look at and plug and play, right? Yep. Almost into your solution. I mean, is that where it came from? You seem like you see these startups as like problem solvers for uh, Loblaws, and you being the connector to the rest of the, of the company, you're now solving problems for Loblaws. Was that a clear 100%, move? 100%. Yeah? 100%. When I first was on the development side, uh, we were solving your own problems, building your own code, and, and working around to um, make things work quicker, faster, and more productive. Mm -hmm. And eventually, at one point, my role changed, and mm -hmm. I was now on a uh, building a team i was just one at the time and it was solving problems and it was uh coming up with ways to make um if a power outage occurred how do you make that uh, a better process internally so that when you had abandoned carts in the store uh that people could actually go through and still check out when there was a power outage because on average you have many power outages that occurred yep. uh, throughout stores across canada uh, other problems were things like uh we had um, battery backup when uh, your refrigeration units went down. Yep. They need to solve that problem. Other ones where our managers are spending too much time in the office and not enough time on the floor. And which was kind of cool is that this was back in 2003, 2004. Uh, we actually came up with a form factor mobile phone um, that combated against the Blackberry phones with okay. IBM. And we had like a nice little uh, fanny pack and you could slide this little mini computer out, and it was a phone, it did everything, it checked your email, but the thing cost $10,000. So when I pitched the executives at Loblaws and said, we got a solution to keep everybody going, no one looked at that as being like, hey, this could be the future of yep. work. We just looked at it as this was the future of store managers. Yeah. And my God, we built an iPhone. We built, literally built a supercomputer on a mobile phone. It was about this big, yeah. and it held just like a phone but it did everything you needed, email wow. all of it. Wow. And we, they basically declined the project and said for 10 grand, we'll allow our managers to keep working in their office. Yeah. But imagine if they would have done that, we would have had the first tech that actually allowed you to walk around the store, answer phones, checking email while walking. And this was back in 2004. So it's pretty cool. Obviously pretty cool. I never foresee the, I didn't at that time, I was probably too young, but man, there was some pretty cool stuff. And yep. That obviously built into startups coming in too because they were coming in with solutions. Yep. And while I was finding solutions for different areas, I was able to take the startup solutions and integrate them in. And I did have, uh, at the time, we had a lot of trouble with it because uh, big business wasn't so open to uh, early stage companies because they thought they were going to fail all the time. So they had a bad experience. So one, uh, one time I remember one of my bosses saying to me, and, I think probably this is what gave me the drive to push forward to is that uh, he said, we're not here to build their business. And I kind of thought, you know, that's the mentality of big business, but that's going to change one day. Yeah. And uh, it has, you know, 20 years later or, or 15 years later, uh, everybody wants to be a startup. Everybody wants to be working with Work startups, startups yep. because they see that they're solving little problems and there's a lot of value that comes out of them. So that's really cool. You saw that transformation. Um, so generally that's what people think about when, they go to these big companies like, why are gonna, these guys going to help me build my business? Or they're going to try to absorb me or copy what I'm doing and just replicate it. If they're so big, they can just throw some resources at it. Um, has it ever been the case where that's ever happened, where the, like, your executives at Loblaws were like, hostile to the idea? Right? I mean, you mentioned yeah. before like, the thing was too expensive, but was it ever like a career decision where you have to be like, if I bring this in front of people, it might be a risk, but I got to do it anyways. For sure. There was always that fear, and I think at this time it's the big business versus small business, them not understanding each other. Yep. So I think there was this fear that a startup always felt that big business was going to take their idea and build it themselves because they had the money and they had the power to do it. Mm. But when you really get behind the hood of it, uh, big business doesn't have time for that. Yep. They're building arms, they're building mm. their own business strengths, and going in and building a widget or building something that they feel is too small, it may solve that initial problem, but then they don't have somebody to head it up. And when you look at a large business, it really is a whole bunch of small businesses run inside of a business that eventually build staff and they build uh, executives on top of those layers. Mm. So they start off as something small, an idea, and they grow it. 
So there are lots of business. There are thousands of businesses in Loblaws running one big business. Yep. They just all fold into one. Mm -hmm. So all those ideas come up to it. So technically, we're all entrepreneurs. Big business may not want to look at it that way, but that's really what they are. And when someone as an, a small company comes around, that creative idea comes from them seeing the problem of a big business or somebody else not doing it very well. So they see that problem, they create it, uh, they build on it and grow it. And then a big business looks and says, hey, you know what? We're not really doing very well in this piece. And these guys are doing the same thing, but they've got thousands of clients. We should absorb them. And that'll really rebuild that arm back up to make it stronger and, of course, worth more value and have more revenues. Mm -hmm. And that's really how a lot of problems get solved. That's why they always say that the entrepreneur that's in the 40s and 50s tend to have more successful careers in entrepreneurship because they've been through the ringer. They see where the biggest faults are. So they're able to focus, laser focus, on one thing, which is solving that one problem and really doing a great job at it. So the younger entrepreneurs, they're solving maybe um, auxiliary style problems that they see every day, but they're not solving really those intricate value issues like uh, in brain surgery or other areas where you need a lot of exposure and a lot of experience to, and some may of course, but that's what the best part of it is, is that when you can see a problem, you can dive in now and fix it relatively affordable, and big business sees it fixing their problem, and they'll either make a client out of you or they'll absorb you and buy you at some point. And that's really a great outcome. Right. Awesome. And like, it's, it's really interesting what, you, what you're talking about here because you're talking about a real transition period when the way we talk about these new businesses and, and the terminology of startups that came to be. When we talk about startups, what we're really talking about is like the Silicon Valley style of new business development, high tech, um, you know, streamlining a certain business process that's been like, exported across the world now, mostly due to like these global brands that came out of that, these successes, right? like Airbnb or uh, Facebook, Google, et cetera, right? We use, uh, uh, everyone uses it every day. Um, was there a transition you saw, a period, like where you like, suddenly people went, like rapid period transition from like these old ways of doing business to these new ways of thinking about new company and new development? Um, and I, I do think like? that so, uh, social media changed a lot of that because, yeah. and the news started sharing more ideas. Yeah. So I don't think that um, maybe 20 years ago, things were really below the radar. Mm -hmm. So when you started a company, it was high secrecy. And now when you start a company, it's not about that anymore. It's about sharing as much as you can. Absolutely. Um, like if I told you 15 years ago that we were running <coughs> a pitch event and you needed to share your financials and what you were doing, we probably would never have got a company to come out to it because their fear would have been, no, someone's gonna steal my idea and build it. And nowadays there's so many ideas, but they're all being facilitated in incubators, accelerators, um, from home, in garages, and now obviously mainstream mm -hmm. in the WeWorks of the world and other platforms that are supporting it, and everybody's open to talk about it. And I think when I started the Open People Network, the name of itself, Open People Network, which yeah. seems very odd, you're like, that's a weird name. Uh, but it was because uh, I felt that everything was so closed off and you had mm -hmm. so many companies doing the exact same thing. So why are we not solving one problem together? Why are we solving uh, one problem, everybody's doing it? It didn't make a lot of sense to me. So I felt, well, if we created something where we could really heavily collaborate and create an openness to it and let everybody in on it so they could watch it on film, they could watch it on uh, social, uh, everywhere else, and come to an event and hear about this company and then interact with them, well, then we'd all know what that one company was doing. So then if I wanted to help, I could jump in and help them, or I could network them to somebody else. Uh, or if I'm gonna start a company, why would I wanna start something if this guy's doing the same thing or she's doing the same thing? I might as well go work with them or start something that can benefit those companies. So it was really about being more open and sharing ideas so that we didn't have to be so secluded in this um, silo and then figure out why doesn't anybody like me? Why won't the world work with me? Why is my company not successful? Well, because the more you collaborate, the more you get out there, the more interest you're gonna build. So we'll be more open-minded and open yourself Absolutely. up. And then you start to see that change. So I think, those types of companies really made the change, but it also the way news started covering startups, uh, they weren't the um, uh, evil in the room anymore. They became uh, the success. And in the last, I'd say the last two, three years, it's really skyrocketed. Uh, it is the place to be. It is hot and cool to be an entrepreneur and to be a startup. Uh, I think that really helps uh, build a name for what's going on in this space. Mm -hmm. But now you've also got people that have invested in companies five years ago. 10 years ago, yep. and those are starting to come out. So meaning that 
they're being successful. There's big takeovers happening. So someone that invested in companies 10, 15 years ago, like the Facebook movie and stuff, they're all saying, well, I want to be that guy because that guy just made billions off of a $10 investment. How yep. do I do that? Yep. So that's also skyrocketed the space because you never had that before. People just wondered, who are the people investing in all of these Ubers of the world and everybody else? So now it's kind of coming mainstream. So now more people have an interest to be part of that domain. Great. Great. I mean, I think we need more of this. I, mean, I think that the, the beauty of this innovation economy we're seeing is that the more that we have, uh, more entrepreneurs we have, the more ideas are trying to be being solved, more money gets be, get put in the system, the more resources get applied to that, and it just kind of builds upon itself, right? Uh, it uh, it, it kind of like, it's one of the only things where like competition is good, yep. right? The more people are, uh, provide similar resources or different type of resources, or competing for the business of these smaller companies developing, um, it benefits everybody. Hundred percent agree with that. Yeah. The the interesting piece is that people always ask me, uh, well, are incubators good or accelerators good and, or consultants that help in this space? And really, at the end of the day, as an owner, as a CEO of a company, you really have to figure out what makes you tick. Mm -hmm. uh, but you, at that time, while you're learning that, you're going to start learning the value that everybody else is bringing. And you have to start making decisions if you like X versus B versus C versus D. And those things come from trial and error. Yes. You're going to have mentors that are going to help you, which is huge to your growth. But you also have to get as much information in about other companies, uh, other people. And incubators and accelerators all have a huge, huge, huge place in this ecosystem because they actually help you take that idea from something to something more. And then the next group comes in and they help you grow. Whereas we didn't have this 10, 15 years ago. It was just struggle and error, right? And then you figured out where you netted out and you grew your company. So I think all of these facets that have come into the mm -hmm. ecosystem certainly help out huge, and they help a company actually grow, uh, which you didn't see before. And yeah, you might fail fast, but you're going to be back in there going at it again and finding something else. And I think that's also a change in the entrepreneur side, yep. is that when something um, does go wrong, uh, they're willing, they've got a lot of people in their network to help them pick it back up and go. And if they don't, there's not a shortage of ideas, and these entrepreneurs are right back on the horse going at it again. So it's, it's a pretty amazing uh, ecosystem and world, for sure. No, absolutely. Um, let's talk about that, that point where, um, so we've seen laws, love laws and helping these large corporation deal startups to where you are right now, or running Open People Network. What was that? Like you, were, you were a founder yourself, right? You had that software development company. For sure. Um, was that the main thing you did in that, between that time? Uh, it is. I, I've owned a software company and still do. We have okay. for 13 years. Uh, in, our, in our investment vehicles, we've created basically three shells that occur to help startups. Uh, we do splits inside of software. So if we can work with that company and see that the owners can grow the business, we'll do an investment through uh, the software side. So we split it 60-40, uh, wherever the number works out. Mm -hmm. So there's an equity piece. Uh, and it comes from the fund, so that gives them that value. And on the cap table, it looks good. It's part of our fund. So if we're going to invest there at the early stage, we'll invest again from our fund side. So the supporters fund was the vehicle, too. Mm -hmm. We wanted to stop being just me investing, that we put it into a pool. So we brought in a lot of like-minded investors that have uh, pooled into it. And then we go out and working with all these companies. We find the companies that we think we can help expand and grow with, and we invest on that side. So. And then, of course, three is the pitch series, where that is what gives us the ability to showcase all these great companies. And they're all great. We work with so many companies, and it's awesome to see the success rate and just the growth that they've been able to accomplish. And to me, that's amazing uh, in itself. So when you tie all these three things in together, I think that's kind of helped support our base. Um, and that's what allowed me to be on an entrepreneurial side, on the hardboot software side, uh, as I grew that company and, and built it out. Um, I started to see a lot bigger ways to help other people do the same thing. And uh, there became more uh, vehicles as well from funding. Uh, I never took funding when I started the company. I just jumped right into it. Uh, and I started to see what things I wasn't good at and what things I didn't really focus on. And one of those was uh, taking investment. So when people come to you and say, I was told I shouldn't take money, uh, I've heard that a lot. And I said, yeah, you know what? I went through the same dilemma when I started my company. I always asked, thought about it, questioned it. And what I came back with is that what I think is the best thing is if you're looking to expand and grow your company and grow at a faster rate because it's a land grab or it's a uh, speed to market and you want to accelerate the growth of your company, 
take funding and make sure that the vehicle of funding works for you mm -hmm. and you're happy with it so that when you grow the business, you know, you're still in control of your business in the end and you're able to make the decisions choices you need to to continue growing. If what kind of structuring would you recommend for like most companies? Uh, do you have, a, you have a structure that you go through? We do. It's different for everybody. Yeah. Uh, but I think, again, it depends on what stage you come in at, if you're pre-seed, seed, series A. And there's people that will help you along the way. Um, what I recommend any startup does, and this is the hard part, is you're trying to build a company and then you've got to go learn how finance works. But I would focus time to learn how finance works. Uh, the last thing you want to do is get had by someone giving you 10 grand for 20% of your company and find that they brought no value and now you're out by a chunk of your, equity, your yeah. equity in your company. So I would ask people, and again, get data around all of it to come up with the choice that is best for you. Um, you wouldn't go and put your money in somewhere without talking to a bunch of different people. So it's the same thing. Don't take money from a bunch of different people without talking to people and come up with what you feel. Go with your gut, but go with what you think is best. And there are organizations and businesses out there that will help you steer you in the right spot. Um, but if you have 12 people come and tell you one thing, mm. um, and then it doesn't work out, or, or um, uh, 12 people tell you the opposite things, you really do have to define it and figure out what's best uh, for you and that investment. So uh, dollars, uh, money makes people crazy, but at the same time, you got to figure out what's best and uh, ask a lot of questions. And do try and get more educated on the investment vehicles. So you don't have to wait till your second company to do it. Yep. You can do it the first time. Yep. And we're, that's where we try to come in because we really, again, openness. We want to make sure that uh, all the startups get what they're looking for, but everybody wins. Because if you lose your steam because you're unhappy with your investment, then you're going to fold the company and then we all lose. So why would we want to make sure that it's a bad deal? We want to make sure everybody wins. So. Absolutely. One of the biggest struggles, um, when I first started my first uh, tech startup, 2013, there were no real like, resources available. Even like, less resources available at the legal side. Right? How do you get these kind of like, financing rounds? Like, what are the different types of structure? It was a point where Google searches were not pulling up anything, even. Right? Uh, and to even like, the main issue as a founder is you go through is uh, unknown unknowns. What you don't even know, you don't know. So you don't even know how to search for it. Yep. Right? You're going into this, dark, into this darkness looking for the light, but you're struggling around. And uh, I ran into something called the Startup Playbook, which is a US-based uh, uh, book that talked about like, the actual legal side, okay. uh, how to finance deals, how to structure a company. And it was mostly all based on the US side of it, but at least it gave me a structure to, to actually have conversations. Yep. But nowadays, a Google search will field you a lot of reports. YouTube search will, like, the Virginia Law School has the entire legal program online now on YouTube. It's crazy uh, if you want to de delve into that. Oh, for um, sure. But, like, with startups and financing in particular, there's all these people that put up, you know, these are, the, these are templates. Law firms will put up, these are templates. This is what we use, For right? Sure. This is what we recommend. And you can just download them and, and plug and play and start building off of that. I mean, have you, do you recommend companies to follow that kind of route, um, to use these templates, uh, find uh, actual lawyer early on and spend that capital? Um, have you gone that struggle yourself? Like, what have you seen? For sure. Uh, Interesting on my side was that when I started my software company, um, there was a lawyer that became uh, my mentor at the time. And uh, he was an awesome guy. So he mm -hmm. basically said, told me, I need to be your mentor. And I said, uh, okay, fair enough. Okay. I didn't know I needed one, but I'm in. Yep. And he was awesome. He, he steered the ship quite well. Uh, put me in front of um, lawyers that were understood the space. And 12 years ago, the space wasn't, very uh, knowledgeable, I guess, in startups. Um, and then throughout time, uh, I brought in different mentors that work with me as well in the spaces that I felt it wasn't proficient at. And over time, uh, when we created uh, the whole open people network side of things, we went to the partners that worked with us and we said, how can we help all the startups together so that those startups feel comfortable and we can do all the pre-work and all the heavy lifting. So uh, we brought in companies like um, Miller Thompson on the legal side. They work heavily in the startup space, and they are huge supporters of the Open People Network, but they also came into our funds. So that was a good reason to, wow. to work with them. Yep. Um, and also on the, the same thing, like OneCore Media, marketing side, they did. They came into the fund to support that avenue. Uh, the same with um, uh, Bateman McKay on the accounting side. They came into the fund. And the whole reason was that we wanted to build our own little ecosystem of real, true supporters 
It would help those startups. Okay. And as you mentioned, like going online and finding that information, 100,000% go out, learn, find it, research it, watch YouTube, listen to podcasts. There is so much information out there. At least get knowledgeable enough that, uh, as they say, so you can be dangerous because that's what you need, which just means you can question everything that's in front of you. And then go to the businesses, incubators, accelerators, and everything else, and find out why they want to offer you this. Find out why this is the value, and learn from that to make that better choice going forward. But the first thing you got to do is you got to learn at least something. You know, you didn't just pick up a bike and ride it. Yeah. You know, your your parents taught you how to get on the bike and what you needed to do, hopefully. Um, and then from there, you fell, you got back up until you were good at it. So the same thing has to happen in anything you do in life: is learn, so figure it out, and go forward. Absolutely. And what do you recommend for the people that you know don't necessarily have the mentors, the, the parental figure to like handhold them and be like, this is what you should look for, not look for. And generally, that's what you see. Most people don't have the right mentorship networks in place, um, especially when you're coming from like outside the downtown core, I've noticed. If you're working downtown, you get access to so many like people uh, just, from the, just from the central activities that happen. Right? You can go to an event and connect. But if you go from the suburbs um, or like anything like outside of the city core, it's really hard to find the right types of mentorship that actually know what's going on. Um, and the further out you go, you know, the harder it gets. And with the age of the internet, these resources are available. Um, but what do you recommend for them? I, I think to, to recommend uh, when you're outside the big major city centers, a lot and lot, a lot of smaller towns and cities are building incubators and accelerators now. Yep. They see the value because they don't want their communities to shrink into nothing and everybody move to the big cities. So they're starting to build up accelerators or incubators in their town. Uh, so the town of Whitby, they just created a new um, incubator, incubator space. Yep. Uh, they're everywhere. And the reason these, these uh, towns and cities are starting to see uh, a huge value of way of giving back to the community, using the taxpayer dollars to support a building, support educators in the space, and they're a big help. So there is that resource. Um, and if you don't have uh, parents or entrepreneurial parents or people that have that background, one thing that I learned a long time ago, uh, and this happened to be uh, started from my father, and I certainly pushed this out a lot, is uh, when I was applying for a job, I think I was 13, I was going to apply for a job at McDonald's. And my father said, uh, you know, go in and ask for the manager. And I said, ask for the manager, man, that's freaky. Why would yeah. I want to do that? Yeah. And he said, well, you need to make an impression. There's thousands of other people going in and asking or putting in their application. You need to stand out. Mm. So go in and speak to the manager, introduce yourself, shake his hand, wear a tie, look appropriate, and stand out. And ask him and tell him that you'll work for him for a week for free until you, uh, and that you want to start right away. And I'm like, free? I'm 13. Why do I work for free? I don't want to work for free. And he said, no, it's not about the fact that you're going to work for free. It's about the fact that you're willing to show him how hard you're going to work and you're willing to do it for nothing. And where I, well, the reason why I come back with that is that even when I do help um, mentor with businesses, I'll tell them the same philosophy around that is uh, get inside of a big business, uh, go introduce yourself to people, stand out. Um, I tell some of the youth that I work with, I'm like, you want a costume? They're like, yeah, well, well, I want a banana outfit. Perfect. Put it on, put a shirt and tie on underneath it. Ask for the manager with your application. Well, why would I want to show up as a banana? Because he's going to remember you. <laughs> She's going to remember you. Yep. So as soon as you shake that hand, unzip the banana costume, pull it down to your waist, whatever, and say, hey, my name's Bob, my name's Sarah. I'm looking for a job. Well, now you stand out amongst the crowd, and people are going to want to work with you because you're creative and you've done some great things. On the other skirt side of it is, where am I looking for mentorship? If there's a business that you find in your community that's doing a great job, go in and tell them, I'm interested to run a, a business, and I need to learn from somebody. You're the CEO of X company. Maybe it's in lumber, maybe it's in whatever. I'm looking for mentorship. I guarantee that person's going to help you because you went out of your way to hunt them down and learn something about them and their business, and you're willing to learn from them. Everybody's willing to teach if you ask. Yep. And that's probably the easiest way to get mentorship in a small town is find somebody in the town that you like that does something that's similar to what you're looking to do. Even if it's the opposite end of what you like to do, mm -hmm. you're going to get some learning. They had to do sales. They had to do accounting. They had to do everything to grow a business. They're the perfect person to speak to. No, absolutely. Um, and uh, it's the same thing, like same kind of sentiment. Like I'm always astounded by how willing most people are to, like, willing, uh, to help you out just by asking. The yep. power of the ask. Totally. Right? It's just so out there. Now it's becoming more and more accessible. 
you're absolutely right. We, you know, in, uh, incubators coming in and more and more resources coming in. Um, it just comes at availability of, uh, of knowledge and that knowledge transfer is there. But one of the things I talk to people who work out of these regional innovation centers is like, go downtown. I mean, it's such a different community downtown where uh, people are much more interconnected. Everyone there kind of seems to kind of know each other. But that's where all the financial sector, like the actual financial support is, the actual heavy duty resources that can take your business to another level. And uh, that's kind of the daunting uh, task I've seen is like, put in the regional innovation centers, people to just go downtown and to connect. Because one of the fundamental differences is that culture downtown is that people seem to all know each other, right? Um, uh, let's talk about yourself. Like, uh, you live in Ajax and Durham. Um, you, have, you always li are you live, are you from Toronto? You live here? Uh, I, li I li grew up outside of it in a small town which is called Port Elgin or Southport, which is three three hours from here. Okay, here. Uh, which, whereby? Uh, it's near Own Sound, okay, Salvo yeah. Beach. Um, I grew up in the, out but I moved when I was younger to play hockey, so yep. I ended up living in, in small cities and towns in the uh, area. Mm -hmm. Um, but I, I think that a lot of, you know, I've really thought about what allows for someone to have the successes and or the uh, forward thinking to see where you're going to end up. I think a lot of this has to come down to perseverance and drive. Yeah. Uh, I think there's one thing that kind of can put things on a slower trajectory, which is if you use that term, the helicopter parents that they come in and they do everything and they help everything. Mm -hmm. Well, I think this, the, I was gonna say the student, um, the youth tend to then always look for that helping hand and they forget that they have that helping hand. They are the driver. Uh, they're the ones that have the tenacity and the drive and the persistence to succeed. So I think if you start to look at what creates this entrepreneur, sure, uh, the Durham region, everybody might say go downtown. I have a feeling they don't. They want to keep you there because yeah. they want to grow with you. But if they do say go downtown or you start to go downtown and see that it's a total different mix, well, it's also a different mix in speed, uh, how fast people might work in one area versus the other. Uh, you know, they might say, and I have no idea if this is the case. I, again, I'm, I wouldn't separate it this way. I think it's just a knowledge base of what your perception is on who grows faster. Maybe in the Toronto community, people are networking much quicker and faster because they only got to walk five minutes to meet each other versus when they're in outside regions, they have to drive and they have to go a little further. So maybe they're not meeting as mm -hmm. quickly. But at the end of the day, people want to drive business. They want to grow. They want to move fast. Yep. Uh, I think there's this talk of fail fast and all this other junk. Um, I think that if you're passionate about something and you're excited, and I'll go to you on your, when your first business or your second business, or even now all of this, what you're doing, um, you don't look at what the fail is. Why do I want to look at what the failure rate is? I want to look at what the success rate is. And when you're under pressure, you're going to go even harder to succeed because you don't want to fail. Your brain just doesn't have fail in it. So as an entrepreneur, you have to take that perseverance and drive and use that to get you going forward. Uh, use the other pieces as being ways to support you but don't use it as your only base to grow you're an entrepreneur you got to be efficient you got to find stuff online you got to find ways to create sales you got to network your ass off you may not like it you might not be the best but who cares that's the whole reason why you're doing this if you're not going to be that way then go take a regular job and just work with people inside the business and do that which is a great thing too uh, we, we don't want to forget that big businesses where they are because great people work inside of them uh, small businesses are great because that entrepreneur drives the hell out of it. And if you stop driving, you're going to falter and that's where things fail. So you have to keep up that persistence to grow. Absolutely. And that's one of the founder responsibilities is to keep that vision alive and just move and make those incremental steps towards it. Yep. Um, and shift too, right? Yeah. You got to pivot. Nothing's perfect. You're going to move and you're going to shake. Um, and I ask you, like on your first business, uh, when you were doing this, you probably didn't have the resources. So you no. were just like, oh my God, what do I do? You're faced with a problem. You didn't sit back and say, oh man, someone's going to come fix this. Yeah. You jump right into it. Or did you jump into it and say, you know what, if I don't do this tomorrow, I'm going to fail. And I refuse to take a fail on my record because I got to drive this. Absolutely. And I think that's one of the main reasons to love what you do. Because that really drives it forward. Like, ah, I love doing this. So like, I want to keep doing this. So these are the things I have to do to keep this thing alive so I can keep doing what I do. Um, I think that's one of the main driving forces for me. Like, I did love you have mentors? Did you do things with mentors? Like you were always having to have one, so you're like, you know what, I got a problem, I got to ask this question. Yes, absolutely. Um, started from when I was 17, and I, I, and I noticed exactly what you did. Ask, and people are so willing, especially when you're young.
people look at you like, wow, you're how old and you're doing what? I wish I was doing, I want to do that, you know, and they just want to give back. Um, like one of my one of the biggest moments at 17 was meeting like a, a regional manager of like a bank and he oversaw all these different bench, uh, uh, banks and um, we just asked him, it's like, hey, can we get like five minutes to understand well, how like finance works? Because <laughs> I was 17 running with like a grade 11 like uh, knowledge of uh, accounting, like one accounting course that I took in grade 11. And I just want to know how do we track this stuff? How do you do this stuff? And he sat down for like two hours. That's the, the best five minutes ever then. Yeah, exactly. He sat down, gave his time. He's like, you got to do what? Okay, what's your business plan? Like, how are you doing this? How do you track this? That's how the bank will look at it. And he sat down and told us all these different information. And it's like, it wasn't even the knowledge. The fact that it was so willing made me want to go and ask him more. So did you? Yeah. I just, I've always been asking, <laughs> right? I just keep asking because I'm like, this is what I want to do. This is what I do. Can you help me? Right? Um, and even, like, I don't think even age is a, a big difference there because people have learned and uh, moved differently. Like, I've noticed now I'm 29, but like, there's 26 year olds who will build like $8 million, $10 million businesses that have came out of this, the hub over here. Uh, and I go to them now. And I'm like, you know, like, what do you think about this idea? Like, I validate it off them. Even though, like, when they were a younger age, or like, or like when they first started off, I was mentoring them. Mm -hmm. They have surpassed uh, their growth. And because they understand that the field they're, they're in, they're now great drivers of that knowledge. Um, and I think that's what it is. It connected to other, other brains, right? People who have experienced different things and being able to absorb all that. If you when you're trying to build a business, what you're really trying to do is solve, create, a, create a vehicle to solve a particular problem. It's a whole beast that you're building. And if you really love that problem, it's got to exist outside of yourself, outside of your fears, outside of your anxieties. If, you're, if you truly want to uh, see it succeed, you've got to love it. And for it to love, it's, it's got to be a separate entity from yourself. And the ability to step out of your comfort zone, I think it's, it's, it's helped by like the, your need and want to build that vision that, you're, that you see in your head. And for me, that's been like the biggest driving force, right? Like doing the business I've had, I've had tremendous personal growth because it's forced me to jump into my comfort zone. Like having conversations with people like you sitting down, like 10 years ago, you tell me that you know, I'll be having conversations with people. I was mo not the most like, communicative person. We talked about this before we jump in, how like, I got into sales and it was like, a, amazing, you know, a, a way to make some money, focusing on a skill set I didn't know, that I can apply it now to get the revenue to build businesses that I wanted to do. Um, and that transited into something like this, where you know, I got into the love of talking to people who who have gone through great journeys, who have created cool, cool things, or in the process of creating cool things, or support other people do cool things, and just break that down. I used to learn and love that. So, I mean, with the Bluemax podcast, what it's all about is just, how do I get a vehicle for myself, more than anything else, a little selfish for myself, just to have these communication, uh, to have these talks as much as I can. And uh, my hope is that, you know, my tenacity of like actually wanting to do this, me loving the fact that I'm having these conversations, drive such good conversation that brings in the traffic to keep the, all the lights on, to keep this going. And how much right. do, you, do you equate that to being focused on the delivery of a great product or a great solution or a great experience, uh, but being focused on one thing, which is interviews and co great content? Uh, you could be doing a million other things right now, but you're really focused. So Absolutely. if you were yourself back in your first company to your second company, was the real winner on all of this the fact that you were focused on solving one problem and getting everybody around you and helping you solve that problem? Or was it 50,000 things you were doing and trying to solve the one problem, but you had 50 other ones to do and just took your focus off? Yeah, I mean, so with this, um, this kind of grew, grew out this instance, like I wanted to bring in cool people into a certain room. So when we first started the Bluemax podcast, like back in March, I went to talk to the, uh, the hub director here, Gray, and I'm like, I wanted to launch three tests. I want to run pitch competitions. I want to run a podcast out of the space. And I want to run meetups. I want to see what the be best mechanism could be to bring in cool people into a room. Pitch competition, bring in cool companies, maybe a few investors sit on the, uh, on the judging panel to like, uh, to judge, like, similar to what OPN does, right? Yeah. That brings in cool people that can uh, now are building companies or investing in companies that can talk to. Meetups, okay, we, we use students who want to learn things, uh, founders who want to build things, bring them all into a room, get them open to talk about things. Well, we can bring in a keynote speaker now or like a panel discussion. It becomes another vehicle to bring in and have these kind of discussions. Then came the podcast. Out of all three of them, the podcast became the best vehicle. 
right? So we started sort of with three different vehicles to get the end result, which is how do we get cool people into a room, right? That we can have these discussions with, that we can now have an open discussion with, like a, build a community around. And the podcast became the easiest, not just easiest, most effective way, right? We have these one-to-one -one long form discussions, put it up online. We put it up mostly on YouTube and LinkedIn. Everyone always gets at me, you know, why is it on Facebook? Why is it on Twitter? Why is it on this? I'm like, you know what? I'm not focused too hard on the delivery. I just want to create really good content. I'm not in a rush. I can always produce, we can always send it out on different platforms. Go, uh, next step is actually to break it down into smaller clips that we can disseminate in smaller forms so people can see one minute, five minute, 10 minute discussions. Find like the most valuable pieces and then start to push those out. Exactly. And everyone's on me, it's like, why aren't you focused on this? You know, what about your viewers? What about the numbers? Are you doing ads? And I'm like, I'm not doing any of that. You know, I'm focused on you know, bringing the, like, filtering out the best people. Like, our guest list now is going to about 189 people. Right? And we've been doing this for two and a half months now. Yep. Yep. And we're picking and choosing between that. Sounds I, like you're going to cut a few people just so you can get yourself to your next interview. You're like, okay, I got 100 for next week. Yeah. How am I going to make this work? Exactly. And it's like, okay, how do we pick the right person to do that? And um, it's, it also happens about timing, too. Because a lot of people, I mean, we have like um, Sarah Nam from like Lever, who's like runs a $200 million company. And she's down to come on and talk about how she started this company. But timing, right? Yep. When can we get there? We talked to Andrew D'Souza from ClearBank. Right, I, uh, I met Andrew like five years ago at an event, and he just remembers me from that, and he agreed to come on. And uh, again, timing, yep. right? So it is about timing as well. It's a big factor. So one of the main things we want to do is take this and move it closer to the downtown core, yep. like maybe North York area even, uh, closer to the subway stations. Because oh, a lot okay. of people I noticed from downtown, they don't they don't drive anymore. They Uber or try. Well, they don't go past Bloor, so you're exactly. already gonna have a tough spot there, right? Exactly, right. So make it more accessible. But people still love, love that aspect. And mm -hmm. it's never hard to find people that want to um, talk about themselves, I guess, to that capacity mm -hmm. and share. Uh, because we all have an innate ability to want to share something that we're doing. Yeah. Um, and you touched on one thing that's fascinating. You said that everybody's telling you to do this. Why don't you do this? Why don't you do that? That's one thing that you'll have a lot of in startup world, yep. where people are always telling you things. Yep. And how do you actually get through that? Because your mind's telling, wait, I've done this. I've had three companies. Let me, let me figure this out. What's making you decide that as everybody's telling you to run ads and tell you to cut this and change this, what's keeping you focused so that you don't do all those other things and find, man, I'm swamped. This is really choking me and I'm not having fun anymore. What's allowing you to kind of wiggle your way through to get to the end with all this noise that's happening? Yeah, I mean... It's a great question. For me, it's become like the, the ability, the filter that focus is so important. And I came, I, I come from past failures, right? Three companies that blew up my face in different ways. Um, I started my first business at 17, like I mentioned, but I started three companies before I turned 25. The first company failed. Out of That's amazing, by the way, most people Thank haven't you. even started one company by the time they're 25. Thank you. Like the first company failed out of success. I mean, we had too much traction that it blew up in our faces. This is before smartphones. We couldn't track things properly. Um, and like, it, it, we were too young, all, it, we were moving, the company was on a rocket ship that we couldn't hold on to, and it blew up in our face. And that always scarred me, and I never wanted that to repeat again. Because I had to let go of people who were like double my age that I was employing. I remember that one conversation I had with somebody who now is like, what do I do with my mortgage? Right? And I'm like, holy crap. I didn't even, you know, like, what oh, have I done? It creates a lot of stress, for sure. And uh, so ever since then, like, so many lessons learned, right? So for me now, it's about streamlining. Okay, I have so much, only so much focus. There's two ways to do that. Run constant tests, see what's working, what's not working, and filter out ideas as fast as possible. And two is to find the right people who can now champion existing processes. And that's been coming up, bring, building this great team that we have here. Like, you know, Henry helps us run sales and operations. Like, he gets people in like you, yep. uh, gets you organized and gets you set up uh, so you know what you expect. Gets you excited right. to be here too, right? Absolutely. And that high energy makes a big difference. Absolutely, and Henry's great at that. Yeah. Right? We have Prithee from Toronto Film School. You know, he makes films. So when I brought, first brought this idea to him, he just knew exactly, okay, what type of lights to use, what type of camera setup from this kind of type of feelings, like how the editing process should work. And I knew none of that. So he just he, he was the one who figured out, okay, this is how the edit should look like. This is how long it takes to actually edit a video if it's filmed in 4K. Right? It takes like 12 hours to compile sometimes. Wow. Right? Just after they've done the edits yep. or to become into one video. Then like Kasem who came in and helped solve our audio problem. Right? The first time we did this, the audio didn't record and we had all this wasted footage. 
Now he came in to help us set up, you know, two, three different sources of uh, audio um, recording, right? There's three sources of audio recording now that gets compiled by a program later by the best audio for audio. But he's dedicated just to the audio to make sure that's crazy. awesome. And that all came out of, okay, test, let's do this first, learn from the mistakes, and then fill those blanks in by testing by different various solutions. Whatever works, we, we double down on that. And uh, that's, that's part of it, what I've been focusing my team on. I'm like, okay, let's test out, okay, throw the new ideas. I accept as many new ideas as possible. Yeah. From that, I put in, okay, like, you know, what's need to have, you know, a nice want, and later on, we can apply on. And then so how you always do we have a vision. That? You always know those next steps yeah. and all this other stuff that's kind of beating around the outside. You're like, okay, I'll listen, but unless it's fitting into these steps, I don't have time. I got to get to here. Absolutely. And um, one of the hardest things is to communicate that. I think my biggest jo job is like, okay, where are we going and how are we get in there? What is this vision? I want the executable, executable step to get there is. Um, and when you're a founder, uh, you don't necessarily know that. Right? You don't necessarily know yet. You're kind of building as it goes on, and if you learn new information as you do things, yep. that kind of changes. Like you said, it pivots. Yep. And that's really hard for a lot of people. Right? Like my wife, like she doesn't like hearing about what I do anymore. Because I talk about a hard pivot like it's nothing. Oh, yeah, that, that, that idea was last week. <laughs> no, this week we're testing this out. Yep. And she's like, she's just frustrated. She's like, I thought you were doing this now. Yep. What do you mean you're doing like podcasts? Yep. Right? Yeah. What happened to those meetups? And I'm like, oh, we don't do it that. Becomes a, it is a whole changes a lot of stress. Yes. And for someone that's more fluid in it, because you can't see the dollars, you can't see the value coming from yeah. it, if you don't make that change, then you go into stress mode and you're like, something's not working, I gotta make this change. So that hard cut off or a uh, quick transition is, is very smart. So do you find that um, you're more fluid now? And do you also think that in this whole journey that you've gone on in the last since you were 17, so um, you know, 15 years, give or take, because uh, I'm sure you didn't just become an entrepreneur at 17. You were probably doing other stuff at 15 and all the way through. So in that time period that you were going through this, did you see that you're reinventing yourself every time you start something new? Absolutely, because I was, I guess I was haunted by the pain of the past failure. I never want that to repeat. So I became more, I became like a, like a sponge. I'm like, I need to soak as much as possible. But then became like, how do you refine what works or not? So being able to test things by deploying things rapidly. Like, my family is frustrated. They're like, what are you doing now? You know, like, <laughs> you're doing all these different things. I'm like, no, 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 I'm doing this one thing. I'm just testing on multiple things to how to, how to get there, yeah. right? Like, well, you're running a marathon, and you, you tune in at a one stage, and now I'm doing like a, you know, a triathlon, a completely different thing, but yeah. we're going toward the same goal point. Um, so, so there'll be a point where you actually start running in a straight line. Exactly. Right now you're kind of doing this. Exactly. And you're like, I'm still going to get there, but it just might take me a little longer because I'm going to learn and test things as I go. Absolutely. And uh, for me, like, you know, even to communicate that vision, like, you know, what really, what this is about. For me, like, I, I, I sorely hate the kind of society that puts you in a bubble in. The idea of, you know, sitting in a classroom in school and like, this is what you're doing, this is what you think. What you know, accept what lines of boundaries are from there. Go into this nine to five, nine to five job where you had to learn all. The, like you know, what I mean, you had to apply yourself at this level. Mm. Take that time, slowly grow your way up. I hated everything about that so much. Yeah. Um, I loved the idea of like this new. But that drove you too, right? But that, yeah. The, the hate of that drove me to be like, I need to figure something else out. Something like I can build for myself that drives me forward, like you know, focus towards. And that's what business has always been about: being able to be like a change maker. I see these kind of problems. I really hate that problem. Let's solve those problems. There's financial rewards that come out of that that can apply to solve other things. And I really love other people who do these things as well. And one of the things I'm on right now is like, how can we make that, that painless as possible? Remove the pain of just like starting up and moving things forward. Because I experience that a lot. Like learning the unknown unknowns through failure and you know, wasted resource. I'm like, how can you make it easier? Um, for founders to start and move forward. I'm like, that, that pain point itself should be, like, it should be solved, right? And, and for me now, it's about disseminating information, what this Blue Mac podcast is about. So bringing in people and like giving people like me, like I learned so much through YouTube. Sometimes I just have, it, I have a video playing, you know, y, uh, y Combinator has the entire, um, I guess, a series of lectures yep. on, on there. Um, it becomes white noise almost in a way. You just have it always playing. It's always running. You're getting something from it, like a exactly. TED talk or something. Yeah, TED talks, audio books. I'm always having these vehicles to learn something. So I wanted to be a content producer where I'm like, okay, let's create this hyper-focused content. Yep. We focus on founders and their journeys. So other people can model themselves over. 
that would, that would help me. So that's one way of doing it. So I guess my long-term vision is how do we decrease the cost of startup? That's a great problem set, and there's a g great bunch of financial rewards in doing that. Um, I mean, and part of that, it's like, I, I know I follow all these different things, like, like what Andrew Yang is trying to do with UBI, like uh, universal basic income, right? Mm -hmm. How all these tech companies and all these big companies are seeing this, and they're like, yeah, this makes sense. The idea to give everyone, like, not just like a social net, so, but like, right now you start off with like a net neutral income, mm -hmm. right? You spend money to live, mm -hmm. but you're making, you gotta make income to live, right? But what if you can make everyone's income level a net positive? You know, a thousand bucks a month coming in no matter what, and you can distribute it whatever it is, the way you want. You can choose how much that goes in the cost of living, how much you focus on personal development, whatever yep. all that is. Um, it changes people's mindset to be like, okay, I don't necessarily need to exchange labor for work. I can create these asset classes or these, or these companies or these vehicles that get income for me that can give me more resources to buy more things, mm -hmm. which not necessarily help their increase their light or like their, their cost, of like their, sorry, their value of living, or yep. their, uh, whatever that is, but. Well, there's an alteration to this too, is yeah. that it's universal thinking that's changing the way the world works. Mm -hmm. It's not one individual making the call that nobody likes. It's more people coming in with ideas, filtering them through, and everybody getting the choice to make that decision on how to help float that idea together. Yeah. I think that changes the way the world, but also businesses operate. So you can have universal income and ways to balance out the ecosystem of growth as a human being, because you've got more ideas coming to the pool versus you know we all have to wait for one person to make that choice. Uh, and I think that that's where the big problem lied is that that one person can't possibly make all the choices for everything down here mm. because they're getting too many of them. So how do we all work to build those up so that when that one choice is, it's easier to make because we've already been doing it together. Uh, and that is a tough way of looking at things. Yep. But the more people you can get behind that cause or get behind that stream of thinking, uh, you're going to get way smarter solutions that come out of it. And it less control because the control gets balanced out by everybody. Uh, and it's fascinating, but that's how the internet kind of works. Yeah. It, you know, trolls and everybody get filtered out because the better of the people are in there managing it. So if you get more people to manage their own stuff, eventually you'll get more things growing and ideas filtering into bigger, uh, more productive ways. So kind of like the movement right now that you have on, on climate change, that was one person making the drive and becoming the voice, but now you've got people all over the world that are supporting that drive. So now everybody's floating it up uh, and it'll become a reality. Yeah. So, and that's the same thing with startups. The whole ecosystem is that the more people that help and support those startups, then the better off we are. Um, and I know there's always this exit plan. Um, well there always doesn't have to be an exit, but then it becomes a lifestyle business per se. Uh, but also the good thing is that if 97% of the world's made up of startups, don't you think we should support the startup community a little bit stronger? Yep. Because there's only 3% of big companies that can buy the small companies, so then you need more big companies. So shouldn't we be trying to build a few more big companies so that, or merging companies together so that you can start to allow for uh, more of that ecosystem to get built up? Because I'm sure there's gonna be stats coming out eventually that the more startup founders that sell companies will spend their next 20, 30 years of life giving back to what they built the first time because they feel the need to support the system and help it grow. Yeah. Kind of like what you're doing. You went through three companies and now you're doing something that helps you give back, yeah. which means that you see the value in helping others get to where you got to and vice versa. We have very similar backgrounds. We're doing the same thing, yeah, right? Yeah. Uh, we're both trying to figure out how can we help this community grow and that comes by socializing and networking more with all walks of life and tying them all into the same charge so that they will eventually feel the same thing and say, hey, you know what, you're doing a really good thing here. Maybe I should think about giving back somehow. You know, maybe I'll uh, uh, donate my time on a weekend to a charity, whatever that might be. But I think a lot more people that get into this type of atmosphere that what you're building are going to have more interest to do it once they're exposed to it. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I mean, you tied on a great point there. I mean, one of my like secret goals here with this is also to I like uh, secrets. I yeah, like secrets. Yeah, of course. Is <laughs> uh, is help boost like the, the Scarborough community. Okay. Because yep. uh, if you live in the GTA, one of the things you one of the frustrating things is you from Scarborough. Is Scarborough's almost weirdly ignored. Like if you go to the CAMH building, the Center for Addiction and Mental Health. Yep. Uh, the, their map of Toronto doesn't even have Scarborough on what? it. What? Yeah, it's crazy. 
It's, it's almost like an ignored part of the city. So growing up from Scarborough. It's kind of odd. I didn't think that that would even be possible. How do you draw that, not draw that in? It's one third of this, uh, si like the city's size. Yeah. It's missing from the map, right? Yeah. And, um, and like even when growing up in Scarborough, like me and Henry talked about this a lot. We went to the same high school in Warden Finch. And it's like, you don't see much of people doing things that we want to do. Like, you know, like when I grew up, I wanted to go into like high finance and venture capital or like, yeah. you know, buying and selling these companies that we hear about on TV. But no one worked in that kind of industry, you know? Yep. Um, Scarborough has mostly been like an immigrant community mm -hmm. where, who has been uh, developing. Now it's been developed. And one of the things we uh, have now is like all these uh, smart minds in the immigrant communities in Scarborough now work in the core or other uh, in, in companies in outside of Scarborough. And Scarborough is not really developed as, like, a, as like more an innovation in tech or anything like that. Yet we occupy a lot of the land value. Mm. And you see like York Region developed uh, the high tech capital of Canada already, already existing now having their, their hub. Even Durham has a lot of resources going towards like um, uh, new company development and yeah. startups. They've pushed really hard. So they're they push really the hard. last couple of years things have started to push the needle out there for sure. Absolutely. But Scarborough, there's no real movement here. Yeah. There's no real set. But we're surrounded by all this high tech uh, like uh, startup community. So our go goal is kind of become the bridge gap, kind of bridge communities from the downtown core, from the West End, from uh, York Region, from Durham, kind of pull them over here and be like, hey, look, something's We exist, we're here, man, we're here, we're stuff's doing happening. stuff. happening, right? And the hub, uh, the UTSC here, is only the real innovation kind of center for Scarborough. Um, and we really want to be trying to highlight that, talk about that, I mean, they're mentioned here, the sponsor, right? Um, but like, yeah, I mean, there needs to be more of that kind of innovation, because five years ago, when I first got in tech in 2013, not a lot of diversity. Yeah. Right, and it's, whether it's in startups, especially when it comes to VCs or uh, the ca capital, uh, capital, like you go to any um, like national national business technology conference or discovery conference or any of these conferences that spotlight new companies and and ca the capital for new companies and pitch competitions, yep. no diversity. Like mm. Flash forward to 2019, it's crazy. The amount of women, right, are involved in startups and tech, right? The amount of minorities are involved, right? It's been a crazy transformation. And uh, that's really one of the things that I really enjoy seeing about the startup community is how embracing they are of what's different, yep. right? Like Latin, Latin American, uh, uh, they bring in Latin American companies to Toronto and introduce them, and they're doing so well and being so accepted by the community. And like how Toronto's become like a place where it's more of a conservative banking town where everyone's kind of hyper-focused on themselves and you know, sticking in your lane to now being like, I'm willing to help you, mm. let's all come together you know, you're building a cool idea. I don't really care where you came from. This idea is great. We can solve these problems. How can we work together? I think it's uh, a lot of the time was maybe media caused it, but everybody was always about focused on helping everybody outside of us. Mm -hmm. So everybody wants to donate money to a foreign country when they're having issues, but they don't look internally to find out all the problems that we're having. Yeah. So like exclusion of Scarborough, why isn't it part of it? Why isn't it getting the same love as York or Durham or anybody else? And I think it's just bad perception that was built around that. And now you're able to do stuff like you are in, in the Scarborough area, being at the U of T campus here, uh, but starting to put more legs behind it. Start saying, hey man, we exist, we're here, we're doing great things. Uh, I remember 30 years ago, Jane and Finch was a bad area. Yep. Well, Jane and Finch isn't really a bad area anymore. It's actually pretty vibrant, doing really well. It looks nice. They renovated the hell out of it. Yep. Uh, but that's the same thing as all the bad spots in Toronto. They've all been redone, renovated, and starting to bolster up, and they're putting in innovation centers in there. Yep. So I think it's just a matter of putting some legs behind the Scarborough side and saying, hey, we're big, we're part of Toronto. Uh, we've got a lot of legs. We look better, and we're better than Mississauga. I don't know. There's a little competition going on. But finding what that is that makes you guys great and utilizing your podcast uh, as a way of driving that out, right? There's a lot of facilities in Scarborough. There's amazing restaurants all over the place that are tucked in. Uh, but I don't think people have really took the value out of Scarborough. They just said, oh, man, 20 years ago, I was told Scarborough was not a very <laughs> good place. Yep. Uh, then they never looked at that there's actually a lot of value here, and there's a lot of good things happening. And I think maybe somebody like yourself is blasting that out there and telling people that you're going to get more people supporting it too, right? Yeah. Just takes time, I guess, like anything. Absolutely. Uh, but in time, it'll happen, right? Yeah. I mean, we really, really diverged a little bit from um, our initial conversation. So let's tie back to that before we, while we close up. So Open uh, People Network, um, you guys have rec recurring events, which is really cool. And you do it very frequently, almost every two weeks to every month, right? We do, yeah. We, because we're partnered with 
um, York, Durham, and uh, Seneca, because we're part of those communities. And they've, uh, if you will, they renew our partnership every year, and we make sure that we build uh, programs with them. Uh, and they run their startups through us too, which is phenomenal. So they actually open their startups to us, uh, which we find obviously super helpful because it helps us give them exposure. So just like Scarborough could do, uh, they could say, hey, we've got these, these businesses that are running in here, we want to give exposure, and that's what we look for, is businesses that we can help grow with and get them out there pitching, because that's exposure, that's getting you on video. And one of the biggest things that startups may find tough is that the more you give and tell everybody about yourself, the more interest you're gonna drive. So market yourself, do little videos, do things where people can do a search and find you somewhere so they can see that you're sustainable, that you've got growth and you've got potential, uh, because people want to get behind that type of thing. If you stay in the dark, no one knows, then it's tough for that to happen. So the more exposure we can do, yeah. we created events that run continuously. Um, obviously, the, the events span throughout the entire year, and we try to do at least one or two a month. Sometimes we're doing four, uh, and that, that is a lot more work, but at the same time, it is amazing feeling when you leave the room at the end of a pitch night and you just had seven awesome companies pitch and people coming up to you saying, that was so exciting, I saw this great company, I didn't even know they could do this. Yep. And I leave, like it's goosebumps every day because I get, and even though I work with them, it's different when someone comes up to you after and says, I got to see something really cool. And uh, that's why we keep doing it. We love what we do and we love exposing these great companies. So. That's amazing. And uh, like, as my, like, so we'll end off with a message, like if anyone is looking to pitch, this is definitely a place to be. Uh, I really love the fact that you guys are regular people can come back again, For sure. right? Sometimes we see companies come back again and again and refine their pitch. Yep. Um, I really love the, the, the fact that you provide a venue for that. Um, that's already lacking. Um, and we hope that uh, maybe with our help, we can get into Scarborough, right? Open we up would, a location we here. would love to do things like that. It's, it's, uh, I wouldn't say we're always looking to get into every spot and run pitch events because that's a lot of time and effort, but we are looking at the model where somebody might run an OPN pitch event in their community, mm -hmm. but they run it and they run it under our banner and we, we help support them in every way. We are looking at different ways to expand that. Absolutely. Uh, but at the same time, we're continuing to create great partnerships with uh, great local companies and local businesses, um, all the way from big venues like Fireside, where we go there every yeah. year and we support them. And that's an entrepreneurial weekend. Uh, those are the things that we want to do is tie ourselves in heavily in the community so that the community will come to us when they're looking to raise and get exposure. And then we become that vehicle to push out to all the angel groups and push out to the rest of the community. Hey, we've got the best startups. Come take a look at what we're doing. Perfect. Awesome. All right. Thank you for coming on, Jeff. No, I appreciate it, great. man. It was awesome. It was great. Yeah, no. Thank you, guys.